So if you turn into Philippians 2, what I want to talk about today is basically complaining. I don't know a good title. I don't, uh, I'm not super clever when it comes to that. Um, I guess just the Christian's complaints or complaining in the church. And what got me thinking about this was um, I just had a little bit of self-reflection, I guess, and noticed how certain things I struggle with. But also, I started thinking some about, um, I think it was, let's see, well, uh, two or three weeks ago, there was a lot of kids here. And uh, not that kids are all complainers, but some of them are. But that's not what got me thinking about it. What got me thinking about it was like when one baby cries, have you realized that if there's another baby, I don't care where they are, if everything's happy and they're good, they're going to like make a noise at least and kind of like whine a little bit like on one and I thought about this also um I think when I was uh, living in Alabama the church that was there there was a lot of kids I mean people started having kids uh right around the same time and there would be one little kid on one side just whine and complain next thing you know here's another one and then another one and then another one another one and I was like man that's kind of you know annoying that's a good thing to hear though you don't want to not hear that um because it means there's no kids um and I started realizing that that's how we are as adults as well. One person gripes and complains, and then another one, and then another one, and another one. And that's not a good thing. Um, there are no good things that that's a sign of. That's, that's a bad thing. I guess that's a sign there's more than one person in the room, but that's still not a good thing. So that's what I want to talk about this morning, is just the idea of complaining and really just being negative. Um, so let's start in Philippians 2. I just want to reread the same thing that James read earlier. I do appreciate him reading that. Um, so in verse 12, uh, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the things that... Paul is telling these Christians, and we can assume that he uh, would want this letter to be shared among other brethren in other areas, but specifically for this group is, look, you did good when I was with you. Like, you were concerned about your faith, and you were trying to make sure you understood and grasped the truth. When I leave, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Stay humble. Uh, stay true to what to what I've presented to you and, and to what you know is facts based on the teaching of Christ. Um, that kind of also goes along with what he said in verses 1 through 11. That think back to Jesus. Think back to what you know about him. Think back to his humility and his sacrifice and his selflessness. So be like that. And don't just be like that when I'm with you. Be like that when I'm away from you. And it's all about working out your salvation. Um, but then he says in verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing or complaining. So what things? Well, he says all things. So that really doesn't leave us with anything else to say except this. Or what, what about this? I think it is fair to say that do all things that are related to your spiritual life. But then what is not related to your spiritual life? Or do all things in your Christian walk without grumbling or complaining? Well, what's not part of my Christian walk? That's just how I walk as a Christian, right? That's my life. Um, so it truly is everything. So live your, I'm, I'm going to say it this way, live your life without grumbling or complaining. And he says why in verse 15. 
that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted or perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So why should they be concerned about grumbling or complaining and disputing among them? Well, because if you do that, you're not being blameless. Um, you are not innocent. You're not being a child of God without blemish. You're living in a crooked and perverse world and you are living as if you're part of that crooked and perverse world. You're not standing out, I think, is, is one of the big things that he's uh, bringing out right there. You're not shining as a light. Um, if you have any sort of light in you as a, as a Christian, but you're doing that. Have you ever been in, walked in a room where it had the little dimmer switch on it and it's just barely up? I hate that. Like, that really it hurts my eyes. I don't enjoy that. I'm like, let's be light on or light off. Like, I mean, I guess at certain times, like... Maybe if it's, you want to be romantic or something like that, whatever, that's fine. But for me, like, if I'm going to be in a room and we're going to be, you know, gathering together and we're going to be eating or anything like that, I want the light on. Like, I, I don't want it just barely on. So a Christian that is shining a, their light but is complaining, grumbling, disputing, whether that's just outwardly or it's among brethren, they're not really shining as lights. Um, if anything... They just have a little bit of a, a dimmer switch on, you know, and that's just not right. That's just not reflecting the light of Christ. Christ did not present himself just a little bit, right? He didn't just say, here I am. I'm, I'm kind of savior. I'm kind of not though. I'm kind of the Messiah. No, Christ was who he was and he was the light of the world. And if we're going to be like Christ, that's what we need to be as well. So Paul warns this church about this issue. I would imagine that when he was there, there wasn't as much complaining or disputing. And he knows that when he leaves, there's going to be more. But my guess is that there was a little bit even when he was there. And the reason I say that is because I think the same thing happened when Jesus was around. Let's go over quickly. If you want to hold in Philippians 2, we're going to go back and forth to there. Um, so if you want to like hold a marker there or something like that, go over to John 6. Though. John chapter 6. There are a lot of passages that we could turn to to show people complaining around Jesus. There's also a lot that we could say specifically the disciples complained even when Jesus was there. This is just one example. In John chapter 6, um, it's towards the end of the chapter. Uh, I, I do want to kind of recap a little bit of what's been said up until verse 61. This is a hard passage in John 6. We talked about this several weeks ago in our Sunday class where he says like, eat of me, eat of my flesh, things like that. There's a lot of difficult things in this passage. Uh, but the great thing is he's saying, I'm the bread of life, right? Um, so then in verse 60, uh, it says, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? They're not just saying who has the ability to listen, like who has ears to listen. It's like, we, who can really hear this? I don't think it's who can understand it necessarily. I think it's like, they're basically saying, we don't like what's being said. I mean, people don't like what's being said. That was obvious. Verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? 
then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who was, who was to betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. They were grumbling. They were complaining. They, had, they took issue with something Jesus said. This isn't their only time. Jesus connects to that to their lack of belief. And that was when he was with them. Imagine when he leaves them. They're going to complain. They're going to grumble. But if they believe, then they won't do that. And it's the same with Paul is with people, when Peter's with people. Um, any of those apostles, any of those people in Acts that were going around to different churches, I can almost guarantee you that when they were there, there was a little bit of complaining and grumbling. If they were going to do it around Jesus, they were going to do, around, do it around anyone. When they leave, though, there's even more. One passage I do want to turn to is actually uh, in Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32. Actually, don't turn there. I, I have it written down. Oh, wait, so I'm just turning there. So basically, Deuteronomy 32 is Moses' uh, song. It's towards the end of his life. It's kind of his parting words, things like that. Um, and it's a lot of reflection. It's a lot of, you know, where have we been? What, you know, what's going to happen? Where are we going? Things like that. Deuteronomy 32 verse 5 says, and this is speaking of the, they're not children of Israel yet, but of the, the Hebrews, of people, God's people, says, they have dealt corruptly with him. They're no longer his children. This is saying they, the people, have dealt corruptly with God. They're no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Well, how did they get that way? You remember back in Philippians 2, one of the things it said was that the reason we should do things without grumbling or complaining is that we would be without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The same thing that Paul is warning us about and warning that church about is the same thing that those Hebrews had issue with. <coughs> they grumbled, they complained. So then they down the road, they wind up being uh, blemished, right? They wind up living in the crooked and perverse generation as if they are part of that crooked and perverse world. I think it all started with them complaining. And you remember that one of the first times they started complaining was when Moses went up on the mountain. Moses left them for a time. And they started questioning amongst themselves, like, is he dead? Like, is he coming back? He's our leader. He's the one that's supposed to be bridging this gap between us and God. And he's gone. So they complained. And then the next step was someone had an idea, not a bright idea, but they had an idea. And then idolatry began. And if you go back to Deuteronomy 32, a lot of the things in the previous section, I think it was Deuteronomy 31, um, a lot of that comes down to the fact that there was going to be idolatry in, the, in, the, um, in their culture. And that was going to lead them down the path to be crooked and perverse. I bring that up just to say this. It's the same for us people haven't really changed over time. Um, I mean, a person can change, but people as a whole have not changed. They had God. They had access to God. But for a little bit of time, like the person that was kind of like their rock left. So then they started complaining, questioning, grumbling amongst themselves. Maybe getting some arguments. Next thing you know, 
idolatry. They turn to something or someone that they can grab hold to and say, yes, we put our confidence in this. Next thing you know, there's so many other things that, that happen to where they're blemished, right? It's the same with us. That's the only reason I want to bring that up was just to say that this whole thing with complaining, it's not new. You're not the only one that does it. It's happened for all time, right? But when, when that kind of creeps into your heart, when that creeps in among a, among a group, that's when you need to really watch out. Because that's when people start, you start turning as a group to other things besides God. And then the next thing you know, there's nothing separating you from this crooked and twisted world that we live in. So anyway, so back to Philippians chapter 2. I do want to uh, look at a few things real quick. Because I want to ask the question, what character traits will like fend off complaining? What, what can we have, what can we work on that will actually take care of this? Because I think it's obvious we don't want to do it. It's a, it. By the way, it's annoying to hear people complain. But when you're the one complaining, man, it's so satisfying. Like It feels so good. So how can I make sure I don't get satisfaction from that? What can I put in my heart? What, what can I work on myself? And really, what can I allow God to work on in me that is going to just take care of that a little bit? Or kind of like remove complaining and, and grumbling from my life? Well, I think we have the answer in verses 1 through 11. If there is any encouragement in Christ, and this is Philippians 2, 1 through 11, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look, look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What character traits can you work on and can I work on to help with this issue of complaining? Well, Humility, selflessness, love. And really the big thing is just we need to turn to Christ. We can find encouragement in Christ. There's comfort. There is uh, something, if nothing else, to take our mind away from whatever it is that we're wanting to complain about. But also, when we look to Christ, we also consider others as more important. And we think of their interests above our own. So I'm not going to complain. I, I don't complain about other people's problems, really. I complain about my own, right? I don't know about you, but that's how I am. I mean, if someone wants, if someone has an issue in their life, I'll let them, you know, gripe and complain about that. I usually am just going to gripe and complain about my own issues. Well, when I think about other people, and it's not just like, well, no one wants to hear that. No, I don't want anyone else to like focus on that and for it to be a, a problem for them, for that to take their attention away of what's important. That's not to say that we shouldn't share with one another issues that we have or um, I'm struggling with this. A, a complaint is something that is not just a struggle. A complaint and grumbling is something that is just an internal issue that I have to work out. Because it's coming from 
a lack of satisfaction. My expectation is here. It wasn't met. Now there's a problem. Now I'm going to complain about it. That's just my per- that's a personal problem. I don't need to share that with everyone else so that they focus on what my expectation was and how it, whatever it is didn't meet it. Here's an example of that. Maybe my expectation is that when I come to services every time, I get encouraged by the lesson and that the songs like lift me up. Well, you know what? That's kind of on me if I don't feel that, right? But I, I don't have to think that way. I can think it was the song leader. It's Stephen's fault, right? Or it's Blake's fault. He's the one that gave the lesson. He didn't hold my attention well enough. When I was in college, I really thought that way. I thought, man, these people don't lead singing well. Not that the songs aren't good. They're just not leading them well. Oh, the prayers, like, I mean, they're not even focused on one thing. They're all over the place, and they're so long. And, like, it's their fault that I fall asleep. And the preacher, like, if he actually had good biblical lessons that held my attention, then I would, like, be all about it, and I would be encouraged and edified. That was awful. I mean, that that sounds terrible. And maybe no one in here says all of those things at one time. And maybe none of you say that anymore. But at one point in your life, I, I can pretty much guess that we've all been there where we've done that to some degree and that's just not okay it's one thing if it's a legitimate concern that someone is not doing what they need to do to encourage the brethren is not taking the time and preparing or is not considering others here's another example If, if my honest thought is that the song leader isn't considering what's good for the group as he's picking out his songs and the way he leads songs, then maybe that is a conversation I should have with him. But if it's just I don't like the songs or uh, I don't enjoy, you know, his what, however he leads it, that's something that I just got to get out of the way. My expectation was here and that person didn't meet it or the experience didn't meet it. Well, that doesn't mean I have to lessen my expectations I should just kind of remove the expectations, right? As far as like what I feel and the response I have. I need to remove that. We'll get into that in a little bit later as far as just life in general. But I thought that was something important. You know, just for me, that's something I had to focus on uh, several years back. I, I had a major problem with it. I feel like every every time I would talk about anything from it was church related, it was just so negative. And you'd be surprised at how many people would listen to a stupid, immature 18 or 19 year old and be like, yeah, you know what? That is kind of bad, isn't it? You know, I mean, you can be influential to a lot of people, even when you're kind of dumb and you don't know a lot. Um, It's just misery loves company. That's really what it is. So when we talked about the effects of the complaining or even maybe what leads to it, but I think it's an interesting uh, idea of kind of like a, a circular effect. Uh, so because we live in this perverse and crooked world, that's that's not good, right? That, that's a negative thing. It's very that's something worth complaining about, right? It's crooked, it's perverse, it's twisted. But because of that effect, we now can have some of that influence in our life. And when we let that take over, we become more like that crooked and perverse world. I think that's really where we get into uh, the teaching of Jesus. Maybe in the world, but not of the world. Like we're here, we can't escape that. And we shouldn't really try to escape it as in like, I'm going to build a wall around my house and you know, no, I'm not going to have a TV and there's going to be no influences from the outside world. 
Unless you're a believer in Christ, I want nothing to do with you. I don't even, I don't go to Starbucks because I don't want to speak to anyone. Like I just get my coffee shipped to me or something. That's not the answer. The answer is be in the world. Just don't be of it, right? Don't be crooked. Don't let the perverse things, the twisted things in the world and in this generation affect you. Which is not an easy thing to do. It's very difficult. But that's what we must do. So I, I think we've answered like... What character traits, what can I work on that will help me to not be a complainer? And what are the effects of it? I want to shift a little bit. Um, and there's going to be a few more verses that we, a few more passages we turn to, but still hold your place in Philippians. Uh, I do want to go over to James chapter 4. Because I want to take a passage in James 4 and I want to flip it a little bit. James 4, beginning of verse 13. We'll read the passage and then I'll explain how I'm going to flip it and see if it makes sense. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and mark and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? If you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. What was the problem with this person here? They didn't consult God. Not just they didn't consult God. They didn't turn to God before making plans and, and saying, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to do this and we're going to do that. It's going to be amazing. And then we're going to do more and we're going to have more. And there was like no thought of like God and no thought of what he wanted and the fact that he was in control. Well, let's flip that because this is a problem for me. What if I'm super negative about what's about to happen? What if when I when I look ahead, all I see is, oh man, like, I mean, like, let's say it's work, um, and then we'll get a little bit personal in a second. Let's say it's work, and I'm just like, oh, like, the numbers don't look good. I don't see other people getting promoted, and my numbers are just as good as theirs. And I just, oh man, like, I I got I got to get a different job. Like, the, I got to find something else. We're going under, you know. Well, that's like the exact opposite of what this person does. But the problem and the source is the same. You didn't consult God. So what, what about in the church? I have a tendency to do this. And I was talking to someone months and months back. And I was like, I mean, man, I don't know what's going to happen because this might happen. That might happen. This might happen. And then he, and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa you got to hold up, man. You got to stop thinking like that. And it's not that those things might not happen. It's, you just got to stop thinking like that because you got to consult God. You got to lean on him. And what I was talking about was the fact that I was like, man, there might be some people leaving. And that's why I said a while ago when I said we get more personal. The reason that I wanted to talk about this is because that's what spawned it was. I started thinking about Josh and Kirby leaving and don't start tearing up. And I started thinking about other people that might. And I was like, oh, no, like, what am I going to do? Like, how does this affect me? And, you know, what about... And you know what? The person luckily said, stop talking about it. And I think he just didn't want me to talk about it because he was like, for my own good, not because he's like, I don't want to hear you talk anymore. He was like, for my own good, shut up. Stop, stop thinking like that. It's not that things aren't going to change. It's not that th those things didn't come or won't come to fruition. It's that my problem was I wasn't consulting God. I wasn't having my confidence and trust in God and therefore, 
I was the exact opposite of this person, but I was really the same as this person in James, right? Because he made plans. He or she made plans. And they were grand things, but God wasn't factored into them. And there was going to be success, but God wasn't factored into it. So he was wrong. He or she was wrong. So, oh man, bad things are going to happen. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Ah, oh, this is just terrible. It's, I see what's coming, and it's, it's like not going to be good. Stop. You gotta stop. You gotta think to God. You gotta look to God. Whenever we're thinking about what might be and what might be coming, what I've learned, and I'm not good about this, what I've learned is I must pray. I must stop myself from thinking that and pray to God. Not that it won't happen, not, or not that it, something will happen, but just pray to Him. Like pray to God to to help me, to 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 just guide me, to be there, to to for comfort. Um, because whatever might happen is in his hands. But if I start thinking that it's in my hands, then remember what we said a while ago, the complaining and the grumbling and everything, you wind up turning to idolatry. So then I, I become the person that's in control. I become my own God at that point. I'm in control of this. Then I'm in the, I'm the epitome of the crooked and perverse generation that I'm living in because their God is their belly, right? They do what they want to do. Well, then I become that way. And that's, and that's what I, why I wanted to kind of go to James, was just to bring that out. We can be the same type of person, have the same issues. Instead of thinking great things, we think terrible things. So you've got to stop. And I'm preaching myself with this a lot. I've got to stop. It doesn't mean we don't have conversations about it. I just have to stop and first, I've got to look to God. And I've got to understand that he's in control. And I think that, you know what, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if I go to such and such a city or if other people are going to such and such cities. You know what, God, you're in control. I want to do what pleases you. I want you to help me to see the things that I need to do and what I do have control of. So like I said, it really is a lack of prayer in a person's life. That's what I think. I, th- I think it comes down to prayer for me. Maybe it's something else for you. Maybe for you it's consulting scripture. Maybe it's having better relationships with other Christians. I don't know what it is for you, but for me it's prayer. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, Timothy says, excuse me, Paul says, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I just want to skip down to verse 8. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. And we could go on and it would be the same thing. I mean, the, the lesson would be the same. Turn to God together and you don't turn against one another. You know what happens when you start complaining and thinking about the things that are to come and how negative it could be? You just start backbiting. You turn on each other. That's, that's how churches really, that's, that's how any family, any, you know, assembly, if you will, any, any group, any, any um, that's how relationships in general are torn apart. Is there's not a healthy conversation. There's not a, a true sharing of things. It's just about, uh, and negativity. And, um, so what we have to do as Christians, we have to pray. And we have to pray together about things. That's how we actually fend off quarreling and anger and complaining in, in our lives and in our church.
Um, there was a couple other passages that I was going to go to, but um, I'll just recap. Well, go ahead, go ahead. Let's go ahead and back, go to uh, Philippians again, Philippians 2. Another passage I was going to go to was in Ephesians 4, <clears throat> just to kind of bring up one thing from there. Ephesians 4, 28, um, there was a part there where he talks about um, corrupt speech, Don't, you know, put away corrupt speech. Uh, that could be one of two ways. That could be morally, like don't have like terrible, filthy talk um, that maybe is just uh, indecent. But also could be corrupt speech, as in just corrupted by um, the world, right? Corrupted by, and so therefore that could be negative speech, complaining as well. I think it's mainly talking about the filthy. Like, I mean, it could be lying, could be uh, filthy as in like sexual things that are discussed. It could be anything like that. But I think another aspect could be just like more literal, like anything that is against God, anything that is not edifying, because that's what it says after that. If it does not build up, if it does not edify, it should not be spoken. Um, and that is a hard lesson for me. So that was one passage from Ephesians that I did want to point out, Ephesians 4.28. So Philippians, back to our main text. Philippians Two, I want to read two verses that we didn't read. And it's verse 17 and 18. Because what about when bad things do happen? I mean, is it okay to complain about that? I mean, because it's bad and it already happened or it's about to happen. Paul says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So the answer is no that we ought not to complain even when bad things do happen. That's not to say we don't speak about it and we say, oh, shh, so-and-so lost someone, lost a loved one. Don't, don't talk about it. It's negative. I think what he's saying is even when bad things happen, you don't get in this woe is me and so therefore woe is everyone because please share in my awful time. It, that's, that's not what Paul was going to do. He had terrible things happen to him. Even if I'm poured out as a drink off, like even if the worst things happen to Paul that could happen, which it seemed like they could, but let's say even worse things were to happen, he still rejoiced and he was glad. And his lesson for them is you do the same. One last passage, Philippians 4. I want to read verses 8 through 12 and then um, we'll conclude. Philippians 4, 8 through 12. And I think this really just sums it up for me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Remember earlier we talked about expectation and the reality, not meeting the expectation. Paul says, I've learned to be content. So, you really got to bring that expectation down to, to that level of contentment. Because when you're content, then even when the bad things happen, you're still able to kind of rejoice. 
you can still find some some glimmer. But when you just have lofty things, and you're just like, oh, this is what needs to happen in my life. It needs to be beautiful and wonderful. Well, as soon as something kind of bad happens, next thing you know, you're not on your knees praying. You're kind of among everyone just being like, you know, throwing your hands in the air and, you know, you've got a group around you being like, yeah, you know, you're all right. That is awful. We need to let contentment reign in our hearts so that complaining doesn't enter them. And I think that verse 13 is probably one of the most quoted passages in the New Testament. But in the context of what we're talking about, where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we let that be our focus, and not just like I can go out on a football field and tackle a 350-pound man. Um, I'm not saying that that's not a passage that someone should think of, like, because if you're going to try, if I'm going to try to do that, I'm going to need all the strength of God and of Christ. But really, what he's talking about here is when you go throughout your life, and let's specifically say when you are working through things in life as a church, as a group, you really need to focus on the strength that comes from Christ, because we can make it through all things, and there's no reason to complain or grumble or murmur or start turning on each other. And I don't think that's a problem we have. I'm just I'm trying to get ahead of it for myself here is really what it is. I see the problems that I have and the shortcomings I have, at least in that regard. Um, and I, I'm trying to go ahead and work that out. And so I wanted to encourage us all to do the same. And it might not even be church-related things. It might just be other things in your life that you wind up being negative about, that you wind up complaining about and grumbling. But you really need to watch out for that being taking root in your heart. You will not see the effects of that until next thing you know, I mean, just, just think about how far it went for the children that would, would be called the children of Israel. To go from complaining about not knowing where Moses is to next thing you know, having a golden calf. That seems like a huge stretch, but it's really not. We will do some ridiculously dumb things in our life. We will turn to other people and other places that we should never turn to when we lose focus on God being in control. So my encouragement is to stay humble, to be selfless, to make sure you focus on love for your brethren, and to always be content. I think if we have those things, the complaining, the grumbling will take care of itself. And as we go through our life and we make plans, as we see what's down the road and see what's coming, whether good or bad, we always include God in those things. So therefore, we always pray and always look to him. And we always think about one another and what's best for each other. If you will, let's just say a quick prayer. God, you're, you're so good to us and you've blessed us with the air that we breathe. You've blessed us with the life that we have. And Lord, although it's not a perfect life, although we can look back and we can see things that um, maybe are difficult, maybe less than ideal in our eyes, and maybe we even see things in our lives right now that are that way, things that we wouldn't choose if we had the choice or we wish were different. God, it's our prayer together that we will continually look to you, that we will never focus on those things and be overcome by them and and succumb to the problems of complaining and grumbling and being negative. But Lord, that we would always uh, be humble in your sight, that we would have a comfort that we can only get through Christ that we would look to our brethren, look to others, and that we put their needs above our own, and that we would always be content, for we were so blessed by you. 
And Lord, as long as we have a relationship with you and as long as we have those blessings that you've promised, most of all being a home in heaven and having people here that we can rely on, people here that, that we can look to and, and be encouraged by, that, Lord, we have no reason to complain. We have no reason to grumble. We have all reason to rejoice and be glad. Lord, give us the mindset of Paul and help us to constantly be focused on the end and what we can do in this life to get towards that end as opposed to our own ambitions and goals. God bless us as a church. Help us to have that mindset and help it to spread. And Lord, if we do that, we have so much confidence that we will show the world, show this community, show this town and the people that we live around, uh, people we work with, everyone that we that we are close to, but also just generally show this city the light of Christ. That we will show that we are not blemished, that there is no corruption within us because you have perfected us, because you are there for us to cleanse us. God, help us to be encouraged. Um, help us to be edified by one another. It is in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if there is something that anyone needs, whether it be prayers, we are here for you. Um, if you want to discuss what it means to be a Christian and what it means to have that relationship with God, we would love to discuss that with you as well. If you have any spiritual need, why don't you come and